All right, guys. Well, hey, welcome to Outpost. Uh, my name is Greg. If you've never met me, I'm the youngest elder you've ever met in your life. Well, I'm about to be. And, uh, but I have the privilege, and it is totally a privilege, undeserved, to be the pastor, one of the pastors here at Outpost Community Church. If you've never met me before, hey, come and meet me. I'd love to meet you. I'm excited to. I'm so glad every single one of you guys are here. Today, we're kicking off uh, a new journey going through the book of Colossians. Anybody pumped about that? Anybody read Colossians this past week to get ready? Well, cool. Don't worry about it. Today, I'm going to read it to you. All right? So let me pray for our time. Something I truly believe is that our, the scriptures never return void. When they are read, they do a work in us. It's not just ink on a page. It's supernaturally written by a God who supernaturally created the heavens and the earth and you, and he filled all of it. He's a wonderful God. So his words are not just ink on paper. All right? They're far more significant in that. So, but here's the thing I do know is we need God's help also to be able to hear it, to understand it, and to be able to apply it to our lives, okay? There's not this, all the expectation is not on you. We need God's help in the midst of it. So let's take some time real quick. We're going to pray to him. I'm going to give you a time. I tell people all the time, sometimes just opening up your hands is a physical way of posturing your soul to go, God, I, I want to give and I want to receive from you right now. So take a moment to pray just where you are uh, for this journey we're about to begin in Colossians for your own heart. Let's do it. Jesus, we are absolutely in need of you, as we always are. We're dependent on you this morning. We're coming together. A lot of us came in our cars. We drove here. We got our coffee, and we're sitting down, and a lot of the things we saw were physical things, but in the midst of all the physical of getting kids ready and getting ourselves ready and grabbing our coffee and finding a place to sit and singing and there's a lot of physical things happening, but what we tend to forget is that there are spiritual things happening all around us. And we just pray that right now is not just physical, but spiritual beings, souls inside of bodies, that you'd help us to hear, to understand, and to lovingly follow everything you have for us. It may be to your glory and not about some church with a silly name, but about you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, open your Bibles to the book of Colossians or the letter of Colossians uh, if you haven't done that already. But um, usually when we start following Jesus, when a person comes to Christ, every one of us come to Christ, we come broken and we leave excited, okay? We usually leave so pumped about all the stuff that we've learned about Jesus when you first come to Christ. Was that anybody in the room when you first came to Jesus? A lot of excitement. You're pretty jacked and pumped about it. Nobody but me and Chet, Okay. <laughs> And y'all know that actually about us. We're a little passionate, okay? Uh, and I tell you that because, look, w when I came to Jesus, I mean, when I found out that all my sins could be forgiven, like past, the ones I was going to do, future ones, completely forgiven, I was blown away. I was so excited about that. And then when I found out that I was also got a new identity, I was a son of God, that jacked me up. I was like, this is amazing. And then not only that, I had a purposeless life. Uh, the only thing I wanted to do at that time in my life was drugs, women, and maybe even kill myself. I was just in a horrible place. And all of a sudden, this God came into my life, gave me a new identity, forgave me all my sins. And he said, hey, what? I'm going to give you a purpose. 
And it's to go and help other people know about this thing. And I was so excited, okay? Came to know uh, Christ. I was like 15 years old. And I had, a, you know, I had the little Nokia phone, you know what I'm talking about? Where you had to type, kids, listen to this. When you had to type a text, you had to like tap the, each thing multiple times to get to the right letter. It was unbelievable how fast we were at doing that. And so I got on there and I texted every one of my friends, girls that I had dated, uh, these guy friends of mine, uh, classmates, athletes, all, I said, hey, y'all got to come to church with me, which probably was super weird for all of them, especially the ex-girlfriends. And I said, man, y'all got to come to church with me. I was just so excited. I wanted people to know about it. And I invited them. Only one showed up, but it was still exciting. Okay. That's what happens when people come in contact with Jesus. And typically, most of you guys, man, when you first came in contact with Jesus, you were probably pumped, man, overwhelmed by the goodness, kindness of God towards you. It was so exciting. In the book of Colossians, there's a guy named Epaphras, and we're going to read about him, uh, and we're going to hear a lot more about him next week. But Epaphras uh, was a guy who experienced the same thing that many of us experienced. He is just a a good old boy from Colossae, all right, in modern-day Turkey. And he happened to be in Ephesus, and at the same time, uh, Paul was in Ephesus, and Paul was revealing to the people of Ephesus this good, amazing, impossibly amazing Jesus. And he heard about it, and it wrecked his life in a good way. And he was so wrecked by it that he went back to his hometown, Colossae, okay, upriver. He went up to his town, and he started to reveal this to other people because he couldn't help it. And he started telling people about uh, this Jesus and what he had done for his life. And thus the church of Colossae was born. It was planted by a good old boy, hometown boy, not by an apostle, not by some prophet, by just a normal dude who goes back to his town and he plants a church. It's extremely exciting. Hey guys, excitement is good and excitement about Jesus is great. It's so great. Excitement is kind of like gasoline on a fire. All the men in the room, you know what it's like to pour gasoline on a fire, right? You've done it. Anybody lose an eyebrow over that? I've lost some. Uh, it's exciting, right? You pour that gas on there, it just rubs. It's just beautiful and wonderful and hot. And uh, it's so exciting. And that's what excitement is for our faith. It's an ex- extremely powerful motivator when we're pumped about something, okay? But here's the thing. What happens to that bonfire when you stop pouring gas on it? What happens? It doesn't keep growing, does it? No, it fades. It, it, it kind of dwindles. When it doesn't have any more of that resource, the excitement kind of begins to dwindle. The fire is going to go down. And uh, that's exactly what it's like in our faith. Your faith is always, always wanting to dwindle. It's always wanting to go down. And I think a lot of us, we don't expect that. And it throws us off. I knew it threw me off. Has it thrown you off? That when you first believed in Jesus, you were really excited, um, but then suddenly the excitement went away, and then it was just like, just, you know, this Sunday thing, right? Maybe not quite as exciting. It begins to dwindle, and it starts to kind of fade, and then you start to get, like, freak out a little bit. Anybody freak out? And what happened for me, and maybe this happened for you, is as the excitement uh, began to fade in me, it started to kind of bring up a little bit of shame in my heart. A little bit of shame. I felt kind of ashamed for the, what I was feeling. Why wasn't I so excited anymore? What was going on? Why, why was this, this thing in me that was so good, why is it dwindling? Now, here's the thing uh, about shame. Shame is also a really good motivator, isn't it? 
shame is something that can really motivate the engine of your life to get you doing something, but shame is also like a really bad GPS. It can send you in the wrong direction. It can send you in the wrong direction. And so the question I have for you before, as we get going, as we're going to launch into Colossians is this, where are you right now? Where are you? Are you just excited about Jesus, on fire, dependent on him? We've got a little image up here I want to show you guys. Um, are you on fire, excited? Like right now, you're just, you want to text all your friends. Some of them are here. You just can't even wait. And, you know, got a little fire emoji over there. You're a 10. Or maybe right now you're a zero. You're on the other side. You know, you're kind of like the fire in your heart for Jesus is like more like embers. It's kind of a dead faith. You're showing up, but really like there's just, you feel lifeless in your faith. You don't feel on fire anymore. Where are you right now? Look at that. Where do you think you are? Just think about it. You don't have to yell it out unless you're feeling real brave. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Let's just say you said five, and you're like that guy right there in the middle, okay? Let's just say you're five. Uh, you're really hopeful, right? There's a bit of you that, man, I do really want to follow Jesus, but I'm not where I used to be, and I feel, I feel kind of ashamed of that. I'm not quite as excited. You feel kind of in between lands. Anybody feel that way at all? Did anybody, anybody in the room, you picked five? right? Just kind of like this nice balance. We're like, I'm not, I'm not a total crazy person. Um, but what, is, what ends up happening, guys, when we do this is you look at this and you go, man, I would love to say that I'm really excited, but there's some things in my life that tell me that I'm not. There's some things in my life that have kind of grown up in me that are not, they're not of Jesus that I'm excited about. I'm more excited about some of these other things now. And that kind of brings some shame. And the other thing about shame is shame kind of exposes insecurities, it exposes insecurities. And so what ends up happening is when you're not as excited about Jesus anymore, you begin to wonder, is well is Jesus really even enough? And so you start to be tempted to look at these other things, and maybe you're going to try to find security in something else, okay? Because you feel this insecurity about your faith. And so we look for it in money and in good insurance, maybe a good job. Maybe it's like, I got to go to an amazing worship service, and I need, I need some crazy cool worship to like ignite my fire again or things like that, right? We start to look for other things, and these other things are usually a little more approachable than a big, awesome, invisible God. Am I right? It's easier to look at your bank account to find out whether or not everything's okay than it is to look to God. Okay? So here's one of the things I want to tell you. Okay? No matter where you are on the scale, one to ten, and you guys can take that down. No matter where you guys are on that right now, it's okay to be where you are. It's absolutely okay to be where you are. I tell people at Outpost all the time, it's all right. It's just not okay to stay there. We've got to do something about that. And so when dwindled passion in us causes shame, what does shame end up doing? It sends us in misdirections. I told you about that a little bit ago, that shame is a powerful motivator, but it's like a bad GPS, okay? It can lead you in wrong directions. Well, what are some of the wrong directions? I already talked about it. You can look at the wrong things. But what are some of the wrong directions that shame can do in us? And some of you in this room, you're feeling that. You're not as excited about Jesus as you think you should be. You're a five, you're a two, you're three, you're seven, wherever. Where can it send us? Well, it sends us in all kinds of places. But for the sake of argument and for the sake of time, let me tell you one big one it does. It sends us towards doubt. When we begin to be not as excited about Jesus and we start to kind of feel the shame of that or the guilt of that, I'm like, man, why am I so passionate? We start to have doubts, Okay. Here's the question we'll contend to ask ourselves. Is what I believe really true? 
Anybody ever had doubt? Sure you have. Guys, you can raise your hand. Everybody in this room has had doubts. Some of you are doubting and you've never come to Jesus. Some of you, you believe in Jesus and you've got doubts. Guys, that is natural. Everyone in this room has had doubts about Jesus, okay? So breathe easy. You're normal. Everybody has had doubts. We begin to wonder, like, is this really actually true? Can I trust this God? But when we begin to have doubts about whether or not God is good, it creates these insecurities, and we have these insecurities, we start to look for other things in our life. And so when doubt, doubt steps, ste- uh, starts to set into our heart, doesn't doubt lead us to distractions? Doesn't it lead us away from Jesus? Anybody? For me, it has. Like, when I begin to doubt, I begin to look for other things. I begin to go, well, I don't know if Jesus is enough, so I better find some security in what people think about me. I don't know if Jesus is enough, so I better make sure that I have enough money. Or I don't know if Jesus is enough, so therefore I should make sure that I have enough followers, get enough likes, get enough good grades, you know, build my career, do all these things. And doubt leads us to look to other things beyond Jesus rather than looking to Jesus himself. Is what I believe really true about Jesus? And these doubts can lead to distractions, and distractions can be really dangerous because they can lead us to death. And so that is what we're talking about in Colossians. You see, in Colossae, some doubts started to come up about the supremacy of Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? And so Paul and Epaphras begin to hear about some things that are happening in Colossae, some teachings. And these teachings wouldn't normally be that attractive. People who are fully passionate about Jesus would not be distracted by these teachings at all. But the fact that the Colossians were attracted to these teachings signals to us that they were losing sight of Jesus, and they started to doubt that Jesus was all that they needed. Now, what were some of these distractions? Well, some of the distractions were this. In that local area, there began to be some teaching and some teachers that were teaching some Jewish folk belief, okay? Like folk mysticism. And one of the central uh, problems about what they were teaching is they were teaching these people to pray to angelic beings, to pray to angels for help, okay? And archaeologists have found, actually, they found necklaces with these amulet necklaces, and on them it's these prayers to angels. So they would wear these on their neck, and one of the ones that they found said this, said, Michael, Gabriel, Oriel, Raphael, calling on angels, protect the one who wears this. Flee, O hated one, Solomon pursues you. And so they just started teaching him, like, yeah, hey, Jesus is good, and yeah, we've got to believe in Jesus, but man, you can pray to angels. You can wear this necklace, and then angels are going to protect you. Now, some of you are going to go, guys are like, man, that's kind of crazy. Why would they ever believe that, silly ancient church, right? But the reality is we do exactly the same thing every day, and it's extremely dangerous. It's a dangerous and deadly distraction. And so Paul and Epaphras, they recognize that it's a problem. They recognize it is not of the Lord. And so they want to do something about it. And they want to write, they write them a letter. But now, the question is, really is all about, is Jesus enough? Guys, is Jesus enough? We can make fun of the Colossian church for you know, wearing necklaces with gems on them that call out on angels. But the reality is we, we do and are surrounded by people who are looking for mysticism, looking for these things that can maybe meet this need that can fill in the gaps in our doubts, the gaps in our belief, right? In this town, there are thousands 
and in this world, millions of Mormons who believe, based on no archaeological evidence whatsoever, that there were some gold tablets in the hills of Pennsylvania that were found by a man, and God, or these people gave him visions to be able to read this, and they have placed their faith in this, and so much so that they've elevated Joseph Smith above Jesus, and his writings above Jesus' words. If you come from a Mormon background, I'm not attacking you or your family, but I am absolutely attacking that idea. Catholics, they, they teach their disciples that they can pray to angels. They encourage it. Pray to angels. Pray to the dead saints. Pray to Mother Mary. You can do this. And what does that do? That's a distraction from praying to Jesus. It's, a, it's another attempt. To, it's putting others above Christ. It's a distraction, and it's dangerous. But here's the other thing we do, guys. Maybe you're not Catholic. Maybe you don't come from a Mormon background. You don't believe in that mysticism, whatever the case may be. But what we contend to do is believe what the world says to us, that, hey, it'll be okay once you have a spouse. It'll be okay once you get your retirement in order. It'll be okay. Everything will be fine when you get your career together. You get your bank account big enough. You get your grades right. You get the acceptance letter. You get a new car. You get a new home, blah, blah, blah. All these things. The world is saying, hey, put this around your neck, and then everything will be fine. It will protect you. It will protect you. And guys, I'm telling you right now, if your hope is in a car, your hope is in a spouse, your hope is in your bank account, I think the world is showing us today in the last months and for a thousand years that you should not put your hope in those things. It's a necklace praying to angels who are really submitted to Jesus anyways. He's the one who's in control. So that's why this is so dangerous. Anything and everything that you're putting your hope in that is not Jesus is an absolute false hope. And so, okay, what ends up happening, what do we do, is, what do we do with this? And what is, so the question is, what is Paul and Epaphras going to do? Well, Paul and Epaphras go, this is not good. This is dangerous. This is a deadly distraction, and it's robbing people of their faith in Jesus. And so they decide to write them a letter. Now, if you found out one of your friends, okay, a, a church or one of your friends that you deeply and dearly love was beginning to listen and believe in these things that were not of Jesus, what would you do? What would you do? You'd probably want to say something about it, right? Hopefully, if you love them, you're going to want to say something. You want to do something. You want to show them that what they're believing in or what they're looking to is a counterfeit. Now, I say counterfeit, and I want you to think of counterfeit money. Basically, something physical that is absolutely useless, has no value. You want to show them that. Now, how do we show something to be counterfeit? How do we know that something is counterfeit? Well, famously, a lot of us know that the way that, you know, uh, our government agents who go to try to find counterfeit money, how do they know what money is counterfeit? They know the real thing. They don't study all the counterfeit options that are out there. What do they do? They study with complete discipline the real thing. So let me ask you, if you found out one of your friends or somebody that you know was believing in something that was not the truth, that was counterfeit, had no value, what do you want to show them? You want to show them the real deal, right? And so Colossians is written by Paul to the Colossian church. They're sending it to them, and Colossians, more than probably any book in the whole Bible, is all about Jesus. 
It is the most Christ-centric book. The first uh, two chapters are all about the supremacy of Jesus. What does he want to talk to them about? He goes, guys, he holds up the bill. Let me show you the real thing. And he wants to show them who Jesus really is. What's Paul's expectation when he begins to show them who Jesus really is? His expectation when he shows them who Jesus really is is they're going to go, let's take this necklace off. I don't need this anymore. Why would I pray to an angel? And the expectation I have for us as a church as we go into Colossians, and I'm about to read the entire book to you, uh, as we go into Colossians, as we begin to look into who Jesus really is, that some of you guys will begin to take off the slavery necklaces that you're wearing, that, where you're putting your hope into things that guys aren't going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. Listen, guys, Joseph Smith was a sinner. Poor hope. He was a sinner. It's been proven time and time again. Mary was a sinner. Satan, who is the greatest demonic figure in the cosmos, used to be an angel. Why are you praying to angels? Why would we wear a necklace with an angel on it? Why would we do this when we have Jesus? I had a young man sit in my office one time, and he says, man, Greg, I want you to come home to the Catholic church. And, and we were talking about these things, and I said, hey, brother, I, I'll just tell you, I've never been Catholic, so I can't go home there, but I want to tell you something. He goes, I said, hey, why are you asking me to pray to these angels? He goes, I mean, he goes think about it. I mean, you got Jesus, but how cool is it that you could also pray to these, all these, these dead saints, the great cloud of witnesses, that they're also listening to? And I go, listen, um, if I have Jesus, why would I pray to them? He goes, I don't think you understand what I'm saying. And I'm going, I don't think you understand who Jesus is. Do you understand? I might be pick, stepping on some toes and some of you are going to leave. That's fine. It's totally fine. I don't live for your opinion or approval because I know that the greatest thing that we all need is, guys, we need the real deal. And who's the real deal? It's Jesus. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you right now, we're going to show you the real deal, and he is what you need. It's what all of us need is Jesus. That's why we're going to the book of Colossians. That's why we're about to read it. But before we go into reading it, I want to give you a few things that you can hold on to, okay, into this book, some handles, all right? So if you're in your Bible and you're on that title page and it says Colossians, right there. If you've got a pen, I encourage you to do this. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to give you a, a key word for Colossians and a short outline, and then uh, we're going to read it, okay? Here's the key word for Colossians. You ready? Key word, and this key word is a trigger word to remind you what Colossians all, is all about. So the key word for Colossians is supremacy, okay? If you don't know how to spell that, don't worry. You're the only one that's going to read it. It's your Bible. Supremacy. So next to Colossians or under Colossians, write supremacy, so now let me tell you why we do supremacy. Well, the short outline, it breaks down to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Is it up on the screen? Man, y'all getting ahead of me. Darn. Uh, the short outline is this. Uh, the supremacy of Christ. All right? First two chapters, he's going to talk nothing about or only about how great Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among all creation. And by him, all things are created in heaven and earth. He's, gonna, he's just going to blow your mind with how amazing Jesus is. And in the second, second chapter, once you understand how great Jesus is, what are you going to do? What, what's the natural response? To submit to Jesus. Be like, man, if that's who God really is, I'm submitting to him. And the second half is all about submission to Jesus. Okay? Every week from here on out, next week we're going to start. During our worship services, we're going to be reading uh, Colossians chapter 1. 15 through 20, because as a church, if you're going to hang out with us, we're going to memorize it, okay? Memorize Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So if you want to get ahead, okay, so you don't feel any of the guilt and shame of being behind, uh, you can totally do that. And I'm going to read to you here in a little bit what it is so that you can know why it's so good and you should memorize it, okay? So 
Key words, supremacy, short outline, supremacy of Christ, submission to Christ. You ready to jump into this? You ready? Man, may God expose all the lies we've been believing in and show us how great Jesus is and why we don't need him anymore. Ready? Let's do this. Go to your Bibles. I'm in the ESV, so if it's a little different, you know why. Let's read this. It says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and testimony, uh, or in Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, uh, before in the word of truth, the gospel which, was come to you, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has, been, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the uh, kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for uh, for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present 
everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the, rich, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty to see it according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason with his sensuous mind, by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through uh, its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that, are all, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom, and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity in the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when uh, uh, <clears throat> then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, all uh, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living, uh, when you were living in them. But now 
you must put them all away. Anger, malice, or anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, your, uh, in knowledge after the image uh, of, its, uh, of its creation. Here there is no uh, Greek or Jew. Um, sorry, guys. Here there is no Greek and Jew, uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen, uh, holy, uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were uh, called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with uh, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters. Do uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, uh, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you may receive the inheritance as your reward. You are, service, uh, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am, a, uh, I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may, walk, you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful uh, minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, uh, our faithful and beloved brother, who is uh, one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, uh, my fellow serv- uh, prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the, pr- uh, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning um, whom you have received instruction, uh, if he comes to you, uh, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they are, uh, they are also, they have also a comfort to you. Sorry, guys, I've got like a migraine, so I can barely even see the page. 
So you're wondering, like, Greg's getting worse and worse. That's why. Uh, Epaphras, who is also uh, one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, also struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you also, uh, that you may stand mature and, fa- uh, and fully assured in all the will of God. Again, guys, I'm so sorry. For I bear, uh, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in uh, Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Also, um, also does Demas. Give uh, my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church uh, in her house. And when this, uh, uh, and when this letter has been uh, read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And, see to, uh, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All right, guys, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for this word. Just reading it is a teaching in and of itself. And I pray now for us as a people, as we take steps to be obedient to word, fully trusting you, I pray as we install leaders, install these elders, God, I pray that we would hear the letter to the Colossians, that we should not let any man, whether they're an angel, whether it's Mary, the mother of Jesus, or an elder in the local church, supersede the authority that Jesus you have. So as we do this, as we take time to recognize, God, that you've led us to a place now where it's time to install leadership in a way that is biblical, we do it humbly, knowing that you are the shepherd of the sheep. We are not. We are under shepherds who serve you. You are king. You are Lord. You are the maker of heaven and earth. What do we have on you? We have nothing. May we receive your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.